Welcome to episode 10 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I talk with Head of Athletic Performance at the Western Force, lecturer in Strength and Conditioning at Edith Cowan University, and co-editor of High Performance Training for Sports, David Joyce. Welcome to episode 10 of the Pace Performance Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm bringing you another great guest today uh, in David Joyce, Head of Athletic Performance at Western Force. Uh, the reason I wanted to get David on was to discuss uh, the recent book that he's co-edited, High Performance Training for Sports, uh, and just to discuss the couple of chapters that he's contributed to the book, Determinants of Sporting Success and Movement Efficiency. Uh, but before we get on to the interview with David, uh, just like to remind people, and I'll keep going on about it, but keep spreading the good word of the podcast, um, bringing some great guests, and I'm in the process of trying to improve things and bring better sound quality and whatnot after a little bit of feedback uh, I've been getting. So anything on, on Twitter um, spreading the good word would be would be great. Uh, if you want to leave a review and a rating on iTunes, that would also be massively appreciated. Um, but without me talking anymore, let's go over to the interview with David Joyce. Okay, welcome to episode 10 of the Pace Performance Podcast. Just like to give a massive thanks to David Joyce for joining us today. Um, I'll just introduce David and get into uh, give us a little bit of a, uh, a discussion and a little bit of background on where he's worked and how he's got to where he is today. Um, so welcome, David. Thanks a lot for your time. Oh, hi, Rob. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. Just uh, give us a little bit of background about yourself. I mean, I know we've discussed it a little bit um, off air, but um, where you've been, kind of how you got in, into the industry and where you are now. Right, so my background is both as a uh, sports physiotherapist and sports scientist strength coach, and I realised that when I, I played Australian rules football and then, and then retired from that and then was working in Australia, but I wanted to see the, the land of my dad, so, and he is from Hull, so I went, went across to the UK and was working in, working in London for a club called Saracens in the Rugby Union. And then went to work with the English Institute of Sport in Manchester, and that led me to work with um, Team GB for the 2008 Olympics in Beijing, which was a terrific experience. So I was working with a lot of different sports, but my my main focus for the the actual games themselves was with taekwondo. Following that, I was lucky enough to get asked to work with a club called Blackburn Rovers in the Premiership back when um, when Big Sam was managing them. So I did that for a couple of seasons and then moved across to work as head of performance at Galatasaray in, in Istanbul. We had a couple of Aussies there, Harry Kuehl and Lucas Neal, and had a good, good solid Aussie connection there. And it was it's one of the biggest clubs in the world, but it was an absolute madness. Went through five managers in a season. So, um, yeah, it was a bit too unstable for us there. So we moved back to the UK and just from there was asked to go and work with Team China. Um, so I was based in Beijing, but across just about every sport that, that the Chinese Olympic Committee had. So I was there for a, for a while leading up to and including London Games. And then, as I was saying to you earlier, I, I thought I'd better go and support my girlfriend and and um, spend some time with her and let her career flourish. And she's in a similar sort of industry to, to you and I. And she was working with the British Winter Olympic team. 
um, leading up to Sochi, but then I got an opportunity to help run the program at Western Force in Super Rugby uh, back in Perth. So I, I came back. So I've, um, in addition to that, I've, uh, I, um, I lecture at the Edith Cowan University in Perth and the Masters of Strength and Conditioning and I've done a lot of work in the Masters of Sports Physiotherapy degree at the University of Bath in, in England. So I'm privileged to work in those sorts of areas as well. So that's, that's me in a nutshell. No, it's really interesting, a very wide spectrum of, uh, of experiences. But just from my point of view, um, obviously my background in football, what was it like working under Big Sam? Oh, it was terrific. He um, he gets a lot of press for being, you know, at the forefront of sports science and and all that sort of stuff. And and to be fair, he knows a little bit about it. But what what Sam does better than most managers is he recruits people and allows them to do their job. He doesn't micromanage. He just trusts that if I'm going to pull someone out of training or if I'm going to give someone extras in training or if I um, going to say that they need to, to lift heavier weights just before a match or whatever it might be. Not that I would necessarily do that, mm-hmm. but he, he trusts his team that he employs. So he, he, that's what you want for from a manager mm-hmm. is to to set the culture and and develop the team around him and then to trust the team that he has got. So, yeah, I, th- I think he's outstanding in that regard. Mm. I mean, just, just move on a little bit to... Um... To the book that you uh, you co-edited, uh, High Performance Training for Sports. I know it's um, looking on social media. It's the every other thing that comes out, and I read is kind of praise for it. But uh, just a little bit of background on it. How, you know, how did it come about? What was the kind of initial vision for it, and and kind of did that as the, hopefully that visions um, come to light. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's um, it, it's just come out, and it's one of those things that has been our baby for the last three years so we we came up with a concept well actually to be fair that the edit the the publishing company human kinetics came and approached me and said oh would i be interested in in um doing a book for them and i guess my background as both uh, from sports medicine and sports science strength and conditioning appealed to them and i did it with one of my really good mates dan lewenden who's works with the england rugby team and so we, we put our heads together and said, oh, what is it that we, we want to do? You know, what is it that's lacking in our, in our industry? And by far and away, the thing which frustrates me most about books in our industry is that there are plenty of books which are research-heavy that are, you know, um, Pacey 2009 said this and blah, 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 and without being a really applied focus. And equally, there are lots of applied books that are, maybe just written by one person that can't possibly be an expert in in every area. So what we wanted to do was have an applied book that coaches could apply the concepts from day one, but it was written by the world's best people in uh, in particular areas. So, you know, we've got someone writing for the the strength chapter is is Dan Baker, who's a world-renowned strength coach from Australia, and then we've got... Um, someone in writing about energy systems, Joel Jamison from the United States with with MMA. So we, we tried to handpick the people that were the, the absolute top of their field but could communicate what they did in this, in this sort of format. So I often talk about how it's essentially what we wanted to create was the world's best conference 
in written form. So that, that, that was kind of it really. And then we just sort of banged it into shape over a number of years and, and it's, it's, it's finally seen the light of day, which, you know, it's a really humbling project to be involved with. And one side effect that I didn't realise would happen, Rob, was, you know, it was great for me that you get to meet Franz Bosch and, and work with him closely on these sorts of things and Craig Ranson and all these awesome people in our industry. But the sort of thing that has actually made it really worthwhile is is to get to meet and, and chat to people like yourself that are awesome coaches and uh, that maybe I wouldn't have actually got to meet in the, in the first place. So it's it's been such a, a huge project and a really humbling one from, from our perspective, one we're, we're really lucky to be a part of. Yeah, I mean, from that from that little um, description, it, it's, t- it's totally met all... Um them uh it's ticked all in boxes for me um just the kind of practical practical side of it and although something may not you know totally totally apply you know 100 percent, it's almost there and it's totally applicable to a certain amount of situations um specifically the um i can't remember which which chapter i i recommended to someone on twitter but um it was it was going to be totally applicable to kind of um any given situation so i thought i think it's absolutely brilliant and highly recommend it oh great listen um i I really appreciate that mate because essentially we've written it for coaches like you like the people who work with athletes day in day out and and but, but also um, like technical coaches as well, like strength, um, not just strength and conditioning coaches, but like a lot of track and field coaches have have, um, have emailed me and, and messaged me on Twitter to say that they really like it and netball coaches and swimming coaches and all that sort of stuff, but also athletes, the, the really well-educated athletes that, are, that want to, to build their own programs and to have a really informed opinion on their own training, that they seem to be enjoying it as well. So... Um, the, the fact that the guys like yourself are saying nice things about it, Rob, that that really does make the project all worthwhile. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not it's not bogged down in you don't get bogged down in the kind of there is obviously the science behind it, but you don't get bogged down and think you know this this is kind of over my head. Um, you know, I'm gonna have to read this six times before I actually get it, um, so which which is obviously great. Um, yeah, I think what what we wanted to do, Rob, was is create this thing whereby if um, if Franz Bosch came into your organisation and you really wanted to find out how you could improve your your training in your organisation, what would he tell you to do? And he wouldn't necessarily go and quote millions of, of research papers. He would say, this is what I believe, bang, bang, bang. And so it's a series of masterclasses, and that's what we wanted to get out of it. It's not, it's not something that is going to require an awful lot of... of really really heavy reading and, mm. and getting through lit reviews and those sorts of things that's that's certainly not a aim. it's scientifically robust but it is something that you should be able to read and get immediate practical results out of but equally it's got enough depth to hopefully report reward repeat reading so mm. if if that that's its brief so i really hope that it's met it but only only guys in the field can really tell us well, from my point of view, it definitely has. But um, I mean, just just getting into your um, the first chapter, the determinants of sporting success. I mean, something that really kind of interests me uh, more and more is the um, you mentioned about an Asian blueprint of uh, technical mastery and mental resilience. Do you think? For, I mean, and I know where I'm kind of going with it, but do you think it's that the psychological aspect is kind of neglected a lot of the time, uh, and people kind of um, you know 
don't give it the don't give it the time it kind of deserves, especially to the kind of um, developing athlete. Uh, do you mean in the West? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, well, I I can only really comment on the places that I've been to and worked in, mm. um, and I, I would say that there's been a, a huge fluctuation in in the standard of. Uh, attention that's paid to that area. Mm. What I would say is that the Chinese pay so much attention to the importance of competition. And so if we think about their diving team, every Friday would be a diving competition. Now, there is a reasonable body of evidence and weight to the opinion that 80 of the top 100 divers in the world are Chinese. And it's reasonable in that way to consider that the competition to make the Chinese Olympic team is as tough, if not tougher, than the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And the same could be said for badminton and shooting and uh, table tennis and, and the other sports, weightlifting, that they're absolutely amazing at. So what they have is every Friday across most of the sports is competition day and everything is scored and they go through the the motions, or not just through the motions, but they actually have a genuine competition every week. And so what we see in a lot of instances in the West is people get to the big stage and they get a bit of stage fright. You know, they they look at their, their peers and they get frightened by the competition and, and they end up by freezing and not being able to express their, their real... Um, their real potential, I suppose. But I think because the Chinese do so much competition, it builds up this absolute mental steel that it's just another day for them. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's pretty good weight of evidence to suggest that the Chinese table tennis team, my goodness, the Olympics are actually really easy for them. <laughs> so it's the actual Chinese national games which are more prestigious. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, for, from a from a coach's point of view, I mean, I'm just kind of referring back to my experience um, with regards to the the kind of pastoral care aspect of of it from a from a coach's point of view. Um, when I was kind of 19 and and going through uh, my career in football, um, I wasn't playing every week. I was kind of getting overlooked. Uh, do you think that this kind of pastoral aspect of of coaching is is kind of is uh, is, is overlooked? To, to get to get, oh. the, get these get get these athletes or the these kind of developing athletes, um, you know, uh, ready for the, the kind of situation they're getting into. Oh, I, it, it's it's a really good question, and I think that it is kind of funny that we we in the West we put a lot of our top coaches with our top athletes, and mm. and that kind of makes sense intuitively as well. But what you see in Spain is a lot of the top coaches are actually with the developing athletes and as the as the athlete grows up to play for Barcelona or Real Madrid, that they're more people and man managers or, or you know, yeah, people managers. Um, but technically and, and, you know, developmentally, the best coaches are with the younger athletes and that, mm. that makes sense as well. Mm. I think certainly in England the best coaches are often wanting to be with the the best athletes and they're the established ones mm. so you know we see in a lot of academies that young strength coaches earn their stripes in the academies and i understand that as well 
but it, you could make a pretty good argument to say that the best strength coaches in in the country should be in the academies mm. as opposed to the first team because that's where you're going to get the most development. Mm. Um, in terms of pastoral care with athletes, I think people that tend to be attracted to working with development athletes have got that innately in them. So I haven't really seen a huge deficit in that. I think maybe if people are in the developing, working with developing athletes as a pathway to the the first team, maybe they're not quite as interested because they're interested in their own career. But people that are in youth athlete development as their career, I think that would be their their primary motivation. So I I, I think it sort of selects those people. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, you can you can see. It. I mean, I I was the same uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, you kind of always want, everyone wants to be at the top working with the elite, but when you actually, I mean, from my experience going, you know, and seeing it um, at Doncaster, the kind of differences to be made are with the 12s, 13s, 14-year-old lads. When you get to kind of the 21s, 22s, 23s, and then obviously beyond, the the difference that you can make because the amount of games and the amount of training, the amount of load that's, that these lads are getting put under, the change that you can make is very, quite slim. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, but but it, it it does depend on how much of their potential they've reached by the time they get to the first team. So, mm. in football, you do see a, a huge amount of potential that is available from an athletic perspective, mm. because oftentimes they might have come through the system, particularly if they've come from overseas, where all they've done is played football, mm. which is terrific and it makes them incredibly skilled footballers but there is potential for them to improve in other areas of athleticism as well. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, but just moving on to your another chapter that you, that you uh, wrote in the book about movement efficiency, can you just give a little bit mm. of an overview of kind of what you mean by that and kind of the importance of it? I think what we're trying to do with movement efficiency is is trying to get the athlete to move efficiently and that, I know that sounds obvious but we see a lot of people that are inherently strong and they can muscle through tasks mm. and it looks ugly but they just get there because of either sheer willpower or the fact that they can apply force but at the top end what you do see is that these are the guys that break down because they're expending a lot more energy than their more efficient peers and I know I'm, I'm not a particularly great swimmer. I can swim to save my life, but not a lot more. So I know that when I get in the water, um, I'll do 100 metres and then I'll need to stop, which is terribly embarrassing for an Australian to admit. <laughs> but I don't think it's because I'm not strong. I think it's because I'm not a particularly efficient swimmer. And so it takes me a lot more work to get to the 100 metres than it would a, a an efficient swimmer. So you say, oh, I'll have 60-year-old women lap me. And you think, God, I know that I'm stronger than them, but they're just clearly a more efficient swimmer. Now, it would be folly to suggest that that doesn't apply to running as well. We see some awful runners, and we see some awful jumpers, and we see some awful throwers, and we see some awful movers. So what we need to be able to identify is what it is that is the, the that are the cornerstones of movement efficiency, and that's kind of what we've tried to establish in that in that chapter. And it's 
I, I did that with a really good friend and a, and a mentor of mine, Craig Ranson, who has worked with the Jamaican athletics team. Um, he works with the Welsh rugby team at the moment and with um, at, at University of Wales. And he's a super, super, super brain on this sort of aspect. And what we talked about this for a long time. What we wanted to do was just get our thoughts on paper about what it is to be an efficient mover, how you plug leaks so that you actually are able to express more of your talent without decay over the length of, de- uh, over the length of competition. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, so obviously before you, you kind of fix the problem, you've got to find out what the problem is. So how would you go about assessing that, obviously for, for, for team sports and looking at, looking at running? Um, yeah, well, a, a bit of it will depend on, on the sport, as you say, but if, you, if you're looking at running, there are a number of things that you want to you specifically highlight, and, um, and we, we sort of go through this quite a bit in the book, and it's, it's about how, how you um, place your foot when you're running, and that's a really obvious one, and that's a key one. So if you're, if you're an overstrider and you're placing your foot too far out in front, Essentially, you're using it as a break, and it takes a while for you to get over that break before you can use it as a as an accelerator. So, a lot of the drills that we we give, you know, just even the simple A A um, A form drills and B form drills are aimed at striking from above. So, really looking at your foot placement to ensure that you're minimising the breaking action of running. So, when you get breaking action, you're looking at um, the shearing forces going straight up through your ankle, up through your knee, through your back. Um, these are the guys that get the patellar tendinopathy. These are the guys that get the low back pain. And these are the guys that are slow <laughs> because they're just running. Imagine driving with your handbrake on. That's essentially what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And so what we've tried to do in, in that chapter is, is determine <clears throat> what the key elements of of efficiency in running are and we do we talk a lot about running um and more importantly how we can address them because the whole purpose of the book is not just be able to highlight it but what you can do to address it so we we give pretty um what i would what i would think are clear instructions and clear guidance on on how we can plug those leaks so i know it's a long-winded answer but I, i talk a lot to my um, students at the in the Masters of Strength and Conditioning about energy leaks and and if we're doing a yo-yo test or a beep test or or something like that and I ask them what what is it that we're assessing and invariably people will say that's aerobic capacity. The the truthful answer is it's not assessing aerobic capacity because you and I might have exactly the same aerobic capacity but you're a more efficient turner than I am and therefore. When you get to the end of your 20 meter um, run and you turn back, it takes you a lot less energy than it takes me, mm-hmm. and therefore I'm going to run out of energy a lot quicker. We might have exactly the same petrol tank, just that mine's got loads of holes in it. So, what we're trying to do is plug those gaps, plug those leaks, I should say, and and that's 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 what we mean by by movement efficiency does that kind of make sense yeah definitely yeah i mean in kind of in the field in in your experience is it just a case of um you know going out and watching watching these lads move watching these guys move or is it kind of a and then you know is it a spe- specific assessment or is it is it filming them and slowing it down 
you know, what kind of process do you go through? Oh, it's a lot of those things. Okay. So we, we film our guys running okay. and we film them shirts off and, and they need to be able to move well. Um, I take a lot of guidance from our coaches. Our coaches are experts in, in motion so that they can identify when someone's got poor tackling technique, for example. So when we look at tackling technique in rugby, we're, that, that's a movement efficiency thing. You know, are they able to... Um, get in the right position to be able to apply force in the most efficient way, which is essentially what we're talking about. Interestingly, the one of the biggest predictors of concussion in rugby league is a poor yo-yo test. And when you think about it, what it is is that they might have a poor yo-yo test because they're, they're uh, an inefficient mover, so therefore they're spending a lot of energy. And in the 70th minute of the game, their tackle technique goes out the window and bang, out, out go their lights. Mm. <laughs> so we're talking about a much bigger issue here. In terms of identifying it, yeah, look, there's certainly amount, there's, there's coach's eye, and that's a really important thing, whether you do it using cameras or whether you just got a really good eye for it. But then that's just giving you a screen. And then what you need to do is determine why it is. Is, is their turning technique really poor because they've got restricted ankle mobility? in which case you need to drill down and, and actually have a look at the ankle and why their ankle is dodging. Is it because they've got a, you know, articular cartilage problem or is it they've just got a tight calf? Mm. So there's, there's no one curable or one magic assessment, but there are key things that you use to screen and then you drill down and, and look at them systematically and that's where you need the entire team rather than just one person. You need the entire team to look at it and go, well, I think this, I think that, and then, then test it with, with established tools. So when it comes to kind of fixing these, these leaks, is it, is it a case of grouping these, you know, you'll find obviously trends that, that in rugby league certain things become an issue, or football certain things become an issue. Grouping these guys together and, and going through these in the warm-up, or how, how do you kind of move on from that to actually implement them them exercises or them them systems to, to relieve that? Yeah, really good question. So it will depend on what it is, but uh, essentially with with us at Western Force, we've got a period of time which we call robustness time, mm-hmm. and it's a concept that I've um, introduced wherever I've gone because I think it's just so critical and I, I really like the word robust. <laughs> um, so they've got this time where they work on their individual correctives. So it might be that their hip internal rotation range is restricted, um, and so they, they need to work on their their glute um, their glute range of motion, or it might be that they do some hip distraction modes, or it might be the fact that you know what the structure is okay, it's just that the way they they move is not good. So I talk about hardware versus software. Their hardware might be great, their software might be really poor, yeah. and so they will have specific drills that they use before weights and before training to drill that um, that appropriate movement. And, and what you're aiming for is over lots and lots of repetitions, over lots and lots of times, using um, good teaching technique, using good coaching, um, and, and using variable, or we talk, talk about fluctuators and attractors and, and and Franz goes into a lot more detail than I can in, in his chapter in the book, what we're seeing is marked transfer 
from the gym floor and from the training pitch onto the, the competitive arena as well. So that, that's how we incorporate it. And when it comes to kind of um, like running mechanics, is that kind of inbuilt within that or is that something that you, you would program separately with, you know, everyone doing it? Uh, a bit of both, Rob. So okay. there is there are specific things, like if someone's a, a really good runner, they won't necessarily need to do um, loads of running mechanic work uh, in their robustness time. Mm-hmm. That's not to say they can never improve, but you've got to look at the you know, the, the, the overall picture. If all they did was run, then that's all they would drill. But the reality is, in a in a, a team sport where there is variable and, and multiple inputs, it might be they've got a greater need um, looking at shoulder stability or or whatever it is. So you pick the you pick the the oranges that are going to give you the most juice for the squeeze. Yeah, of course. But for some people, if that's their big work on, they will get it for their robustness time, and then as a group, as part of as part of the warm up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's really good stuff. I mean, I know we're coming up to uh, we're coming up to half an hour, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna wrap it up. I don't want to keep you uh, keep you all night, but um, no. when it when it comes to kind of social media, how can how can people get in touch with you and and tell you how great your book is? I know, I suppose it doesn't get old. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, look at it. No, I'm 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 really happy if people send me a, a tweet. Like my my Twitter handle is at David G Joyce. Um, we've got a we've got a Facebook group, um, which is, um, uh, yeah, it's high performance training for sports group, and that is that, that's got a collection of well over six hundred coaches at the moment, and that that will grow and grow and grow and grow and grow of of coaches that are just not only networking for a relationship perspective but also putting problems on there and other coaches are solving so I'm finding that a lot of people are emailing me individually and going what do you think about this what do you think about that and I I can have an answer for it but the reality is I reckon um, that having a community of of 600 extra coaches to answer those sorts of questions is way more valuable than just my my little brain and my two eyes so um, yeah I, I, I really encourage people to find that that group and and by all means I, I love it when people put a picture of the book up on on Twitter and and the like and Amazon reviews are really helpful for us and all that sort of stuff we've worked really hard to get this priced at 15 pounds or or 30. 30 Australian dollars and 22 American dollars and all that sort of stuff, which is pretty incredible value for the, the content. We're, we've done that deliberately so that every coach in the world would have access to it. So um, hopefully, um, hopefully that's, that's people, people do find it useful and, and ultimately improve their athletes through using some of the, the content in it. That's what we're after. Yeah, I think, well, I didn't know about the Facebook group, but um, I think that's a really good idea. Um, definitely a good idea. So, yeah, um, I'll just wrap it up and I'll say, you know, thanks very much again for taking your time because I know you obviously got plenty going on by the sounds of it. Um, so, yeah, thanks a lot again and I will speak to you soon, David. It's a real pleasure. Thanks for having me, Rob. Thanks, mate. See you later. Bye. Okay, guys, thanks for tuning in to episode 10 of the Pace Performance Podcast. 
We've got plenty of great guests coming up over the next couple of weeks. So if you want to keep up to date on what's going on the podcast and who's coming on and whatnot, you can keep in touch on Twitter and follow me at Pacey Perform or on Facebook at Pacey Performance. You can also check out the website, paceperformance.co.uk, and there's all the previous episodes available for download uh, on iTunes and to listen online. Uh, Thanks again for listening. I'll check you in episode 11.